0: Pushing Faders, in association with SVG Europe Audio. Hello and welcome to Pushing Faders, the podcast where we take a look into the world of broadcast sound. I'm Chris Eckford, and first of all, I'd like to thank everybody who listened to the first podcast that I did with Ian. Got some great feedback from it, and annoyingly, I've not been able to get any more out since that due to other people's schedules. And uh, annoyingly, I fractured a couple of ribs, so it kind of put this on the back burner slightly. But we have got some episodes recorded and ready to go, so they'll be out over the coming weeks. And one thing I did notice after listening to the first one back is that I rattled on quite a bit at the beginning. Um, so I'm not going to do that. That being said. For this week's episode, I took the short, but slightly rainy trip across the M62 to a small town called Hebden Bridge where I chatted to Henry Goodman. Now, Henry is the Director of Product Management at Calrec. Now, If you're not quite sure who Calrec are, then you might have stumbled across the wrong podcast. But, you know, stick around, you might learn something. Formed in 1964 as a microphone manufacturer, Calrec launched the world's first stereo broadcast mixing desk, console, or board, depending on what you prefer in 1977, and since then have become synonymous with broadcast sound mixing consoles all over the world. Last year, Calrec launched their latest product, the Argo, something that Henry and myself spoke about during our chat. So, without any further of me rattling on... Thank you for chatting with me. No, it's, a it's pleasure. Uh, but yeah, we're, we're here at Calrec, and we just had a look around all the, I was going to say, uh, factory floor but it's not really a factory floor is it it's more of a, just a production
1: well it's it i suppose you would describe it as a yeah. production floor it's a production area that um, mainly assembly assembly and test area that we have and we had a look around the mill yes. as well
0: yeah uh, so the museum with uh some I think things i recognized and a few things that i didn't recognize for i think before my generation
1: yeah, a the, bits. yeah. There's quite a lot of stuff that's quite old in there. <laughs> yeah,
0: it's amazing to look at like stuff that I, even people will probably say were old nowadays. That maybe is. I mean, how old was the? You know, when I thought it was the M2 strip. Yeah, how old? How, what, gen, what year were they?
1: Well, we stopped. We stopped making those in probably a, in probably the, probably into the two thousands. Mm. We were still making them. We were certainly supporting them. Yeah. Um, it's one of one of the things that we that we do at Cowrec one of our promises to our customers is that we support product for 10 years yeah for a minimum of 10 years and that's so from our point of view that's 10 years since we sold the last one so yeah. that might not be yours if you like but it's it's 10 years from the last one we sold
0: so if you bought one say 20 years before it's still you would still say we spotted it for 10 years after the last one's bill then yeah that's, exactly that's cool yeah it's uh, it's, it's, it's so bizarre to think about that like in what is quite a small little village at the other side of West Yorkshire from where I live is like like biggest broadcast sound manufacturing company for sound desks?
1: Um certainly one of the one of the world's biggest. There's yeah. probably um uh, well there's probably three or four companies worldwide which are a similar sort of size or slightly bigger. Mm. Um but um yeah in many ways um here at Carrot we're we're locally probably one of the best-kept secrets, it's, actually. It's I mean,
0: bizarre. I've driven past here quite a few times, and obviously I knew that you were based in Hebden Bridge, but I've driven past a couple of times and not actually known where it was.
1: Well, considering where... I mean, Hebden Bridge is a small town. It's, yeah. it's, it's you know, um, not that many, many people live here. No. Um, probably about 10,000 people live in Hebden Bridge. And we're the biggest employer in the town. So. I was
0: going to say, are you the biggest company... In Hebden Bridge. Yeah. But not just employment-wise, as in, you know, output and from a, from a financial point of view, I guess.
1: Yeah, I would say we, yeah. we probably are. Um, so, you know, here in Hebden, we probably employ 120 people, which... For a town which is pretty much full of uh, nail bars, charity shops, and cafes,
0: it's uh, got some nice cafes as well. Yeah, some very <laughs>
1: nice cafes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> if you like your cake,
0: yeah. Well, I had to eat from the actual place, but I just remember they did really nice Portuguese custard tarts in a little um, place around the corner from Well, in the in the town centre. Yeah,
1: to yeah. I, I struggled to keep out of that place.
0: That's the yeah. problem. It's uh yeah. It's it's a it's a good little. It's quite a hipstery town, really, isn't it? Um, but it it's it got um, that way.
1: In the 60s, it was very, uh, uh, very down, very down on its hill, Hebden mm. Bridge. You know, the the we were talking about in the museum, we were talking about the industrial revolution yeah, yeah. and the explosion of, of wealth in this area through the textile industry, which is what it was all about. Mm. But after that all disappeared, went to India and China, the local industry was very much on its knees.
0: Yeah. I there was, this would have been a textile mill then.
1: Yes, yeah. yeah. Um, the mill, as we as we describe it, is um, is an old textiles mill, mm. actually for mainly assembling garments rather mm. than spinning the, the cloth, yeah. and making um, make, making one of Yorkshire's most famous cloth products, which is uh, corduroy. All right. Yeah. So the so that's yeah. what they did in in the mill here. Yeah.
0: And how How long have you worked for Calrec?
1: I've worked at Calrec for about 25 years, so um, I'm not from Yorkshire. So, no. I'm what they call an off cumden here, yeah. <laughs> but um, now proud to be now proud to be based in Yorkshire. Yeah. To be honest, and um, so, but we have a lot of people at Calrec who've been in here a lot longer than I have. Mm. One of the things that we uh, yeah we have uh, recently we have we had. Uh, one gentleman retire. He'd, he'd been working working for Carrick for forty five years. Yeah, I so.
0: saw um, Anthony had mentioned to me about it. Uh, yeah. I think he just re- he was just retiring as I was uh, approached him about somebody to, to chat with. Because he was like, oh, if he wasn't leaving, it'd been quite a good, you know, he's been here and seen it all.
1: Well, and he could talk, Mark. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, I've I've um, I started working at uh, at Carrick about twenty five years ago. Mm. Initially working in the uh, on the sales side of the business and actually running sales for the Asian market mm. um, for Calrec, um which I did for four or five years, and then got involved in other. Other areas of um, of the planet in terms of sales and looking after looking after the commercial side of the business, and ended up running the um, being head of sales for Cowrec for a while. Mm. Um, so that involved involved you know sales in all our major territories all over the world, from Australia to yeah to Hong Kong to um, the states and the UK and Europe. What we've did in what we've done in Europe. Mm. And then I made a shift um, probably about 10 years ago um, from the sales side of the business into the product development side of what we do. Yeah. So I now head up the product development team at Cowrec, which is a small team of about five five people. Um, and we work very closely with the... Uh, the designers um, mechanical designers, electronic designers and um, software developers yeah. um, to realize the products that we uh, that we dream up.
0: What do you think has been like the biggest change over those 25 years in the technology that you've?
1: well I think without doubt probably certainly in my lifetime because I was in I worked in console I've worked in consoles all my life yeah. um, was the change between from analog to digital yeah. it's got to be the biggest quantum shift that that i think the industry has gone through when Um, when
0: was the first Calrec digital desk
1: well when that happened that was happening as i joined the company so the first one was a small console called the x series which Calrec were were launching as i joined the company so that was um, a a small console targeted to the radio market we sold quite a few to the bbc Mm. mainly for the regional stations around the bbc and we learned, as a, as a business and as a development team, we learned quite a lot about, um, about what, what a digital console is with that. But we soon realized that the technology that we developed for that didn't really scale in the way that we wanted it to mm. scale for our larger format consoles. So when I joined Calrec, that that was happening and we were... Developing uh, a new DSP engine to work with something called the T Series, which was a digitally controlled analog console that Cowrec had been making for a number of years mm. um, before that. Before that, and the idea was to develop a DSP engine um, to to replace the analog circuit circuits within that, yeah. and to go fully digital.
0: Because they so it was the first broadcast one, then the. Like the Sigma generation, that sort of era.
1: Yes, well, that what we called was it was almost like a codename. Right. The, the digital T, if you like. Yeah. Was the forerunner of the um, of the Alpha. The Alpha, yeah. Um, and then the Sigma range that came on they after always, that.
0: They sort of felt like an analog desk to look at, and they, from an operational point of view, they do sort of feel.
1: Well, I think. Um, I think there was a bit of a leap from something like an S2 because it, the S2 was was quite a traditional analog console yeah. in some ways, although not very traditional in other ways. So, mm. for what I mean by that is that um, for many years, people making analog consoles would um, hand wire the the, the, the uh, basically the PCBs together mm. and hand wire the modules together. Um, and you know, so there was a lot of there was a lot of physical work in doing yeah. that, in, in, yeah. and in a lot of soldering in in a, into the frames. One of the things that Kaurik was quite revolutionary with, um, fairly early on, before actually before I joined the company, was modularizing the analog circuit boards into a motherboard mm. and a motherboard system, which didn't involve a lot of hand hand soldering. Yeah. So it was connected together through basically yeah. through multi pin multi-pin connectors mm. and it had on the underside of the same of the pcb the motherboards were the io connectors yeah. so um it was very as a as an analog console it was very light in terms of hand wiring right which certainly helped i think that transition for for carrot to go from sort of a, a traditional analog surface into a digitally controlled surface yeah yeah,
0: yeah. So, what i meant with the alpha generations they, they sort of had the look from an aesthetics and operational point of view, from a, from you know somebody who was using it to mix on, did feel like an analog desk. Right. It, but I I think that's more of a compliment, really. Like it did have that sort of well put together feel to it. Not well. One of the, one of the
1: things that we quite that we spend a lot of time thinking about at Cowrec is that is a is the transition between our products. Mm. Um, so um, obviously, when you bring out a new surface, you want you want to take a step. Yeah. into the future you want you you know you want to add you want to take advantage of the newer technology i mean we design a a new surface probably once every 15 years yeah. you know a new surface technology platform once every 15 yeah. to 20 years so you have to design it with that in mind and um we're always whenever we do that we're asking we're asking the operators that that know and love us um to take that step with us yeah. and to change their you know the way they work mm. um, in some ways to take advantage of that technology, and that's something that we're always quite nervous about whenever we launch a new a new surface, and we try very hard to to give some familiarity to the new surface that is recognisable from the model before.
0: Yeah, because the, the GUIs always feel from the alpha generation to the um, Apollo generation, you, you, you do it looks the same but not the same. Yeah, so you, yeah. You, you can easily find your way around it, but it's not the same, like completely the same operating uh, platform.
1: Yeah, absolutely. But you you do look and,
0: at we, it and go, "Oh, we, I can use that." Whereas, like, I mean, I, I think I, I mentioned before, like I'd I learned on a on a Vista, and like jumping from that to a Calrec, it was like such a dream to go on something that looks so easy to jump between. You know, you put, doing your doing your ins and outs and everything, whereas the the was like a little matrix and you have to pin everything and uh, you know find it down one side and find it across the bottom and yeah, you'll go into a yeah. caloric where everything's there and you can, you know, everything's in a list that's if if where it was written the program written the the back the, the back end of it properly then you can you, your lists of what your hydro boxes are called or what each thing's if that's all done properly it's just so easy to work with compared to like yeah that's it's
1: interesting it's interesting and thank you for the compliment
0: (laughs) It's fine. fine. honestly like i'll always like i I think i've used quite a lot of desks now i I can't i can't see myself ever saying that any is better because people always say oh this desk sounds amazing this desk sounds amazing and i don't know in digital now like i think that the Analog-wise, analog, analog Calrex, analog cal- you know, they drive the gain quite a lot into them, and very rarely get any distortion out of it, which are bad. You know, I, I think it's not easy to compare these days with digital desks as to what sounds better. But I think importantly now is like the operational side of it, and using using a Calrex just so much easier. I've, I've had it before where I could think the router card had failed in one truck, and they had not jumped over to the
1: secondary, secondary one it, yeah. so
0: when we got a spare to not get any information on it so we had to quickly build you know build a scratch build a show a scratch. from scratch yeah and you know at no point was like oh god this is going to take forever like i, I knew in my head how the, what the desk should look like and we, we did it in you know a couple of hours yeah
1: it, it's going back to that transit i think that's one of the things that made that transition from from analog to digital as an industry quite difficult I mean and and Caret was a little late to that party mm. for a number of a number of reasons which weren't necessarily to do with our desire to get into mm. digital but but that you know when we when we when as an industry we did that you know there was a lot of talk about sound quality and mm. you know it's never going to sound the same is it it's ne- it, it's got to be a worse sound because yeah. of because of the move from digital we could talk all afternoon about that um but it's interesting you mentioned things like the ability to handle the gain range yeah. within because that's something that we did we did on things like the S2 and the Q series consoles mm. we had this um what we called auto gain ranging design which basically was a was a way of um Basically, you had a, a bit like a voltage-controlled amplifier, not just at the fader, but at the output of the at the input of the channel right. as well, which managed the gain for you. So, right. so if it went, if if the incoming signal was was a bit hot, it it would. You know, you you right. it would balance the gain on the input to the output, right. which is one yeah. of the reasons why we have such a big headroom yeah. on the carrot consoles, and we've continued that into the digital domain. Yeah. So we now play with the, the digital gain compared with the analog gain to maximize the headroom.
0: Right. I, didn't, um, I didn't know that, and that, that that makes more sense as to why you could. It was very hard to make one distort. Yeah, absolutely, and yeah. it still is yeah. because
1: because of that. I think that's one of the reasons why for live. Sports and and live broadcast, people like the carrot because yeah. you know you have uncontrollable yeah. mics sitting there, which can do all sorts of things on you without you know in an uncontrolled environment.
0: Did sort of the the push in this country for going to five one and eventually obviously like immersive now keep Calrec like pushing their boundaries with with development.
1: Um, absolutely, I mean I think one of the reasons why. Well, one of the reasons why why Carrick is where it is is because we we try to listen to to the to people who are doing the job on the ground. Mm. You know that that drive it, it, and, it, and it's not that drive from our customers to say, oh, we want to do this, we want to do that, um, is what um, what helps drive our development forward. Mm. Absolutely, and you know you could say, well, that's great, but I mean it. It's common sense when you think about it, because if a customer, if if you fulfil a customer's requirements um, in that area, so if you provide them with the five point one features that they're looking for, they're more likely to buy a console from you. So it's it's not just a you know it's part of the business for us.
0: Do you think the the companies pushing for these things dragged you along with them?
1: I'd like to. um, I'm sure there's there's an element of that. Yeah, I'd like to think that we. You know, if you take the example of Sky, for example, with with how they've our relationship we've had with them over the years, yeah. uh, you know, we've we've had a lot of in-depth discussions and conversations about actually the minutia of of particular features yeah. and how 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 they would like that to work, which have um, informed very much informed how we've ended up with take down mixing for example um how we down mix now is 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 very much um a result of the interaction we had with sky and the discussions we had with them and um, and and i'd like to think that um you know we we added to that conversation as during that process that they got something from us in the same way we got a lot from them and how they how they wanted to do it
0: i'm sure the first time that sky started talking about Dolby atmos and getting that there was like heads were scratched and said
1: oh absolutely yeah yeah yeah.
0: and it probably caused for sleepless nights for people while they were trying to think of like what how they were going to do that from from every end of the spectrum i
1: guess yeah but uh, but that's a continual process i mean we're just scratching our heads about different stuff now yeah we're trying to figure out how you know what the next stage is and what what um you know we're talking about very much sort of very different workflows in terms of distribu- distributed production mm. now and and working remotely and what that means and how how that can be simplified how yeah. that how that how that makes sense in a in a in a real world mm. and 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 what tools you need to do that.
0: It's, it's funny because I, I I had this weird thought a couple of months back. I think it might be when I saw the Argo out in Australia and I was sort of thinking, is the call for such big big huge mixing desks going away and then like you know you walk around your warehouse and there's you know all these huge consoles it's like yeah there's still call for the the big huge fancy desks
1: i think there is i think it um i think people are i think the the way productions are are done now people think more carefully about Mm. um and there's definitely a drive to you know to commercialize at a production level rather than a capital investment sort of cycle that the that's been the traditional way broadcasters purchase equipment and i mean that's one of the reasons why everybody's talking about cloud because you know that's what that's the promise yeah. of cloud is that agile way of of using of using your resources mm. um, but not just the equipment but people as well yeah that ongoing process is so, but going back to to the you know the earlier days i was i was thinking about you know, when we when we first started mixing 5.1, it was very much an experiment. Yeah. In, um, so you know, you were in the early days. People were sort of, well, should we switch? Should we should we switch the soundscape to match the cameras? Um, a bit you awful. know, and, and and but we did it. We yeah. went through a process of doing that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and there were similar. You, you can draw similar parallels with what's you know with what's happening now, how we how we develop um, immersive sound for for different sports yeah. and and how we do that. People are experimenting in a, in a quite a similar way yeah. to try and get um, the sweet spot out of a particular setup for a particular sport.
0: Mm. It, made, it just made me think when you were talking about the uh, switching perspectives as well. I can remember when I was a staff at Sky, we used to take in Spanish football. So you would yeah. sit and do like your own wraparound studio show, and I think the guy who was mixing in Spain was doing that, but just randomly. <laughs> I remember like the five-one totally shifted during the game, but still on camera one, and it totally changed. And I was sat there in the middle, I was like, something, uh, something weird just happened there. And you could see like the on the RTW monitor. I was like, looks like it's all this side now. It's this, so I've gone a little bit. <laughs> yeah, I think he was just playing around with his own perspectives on on the game at the time.
1: Well, yeah, yeah.
0: Just on that, what do you think, sort of, for people that use Carrex sets it aside from the other manufacturers?
1: I think one of the one of the, it, it's got to be the usability of it. Mm. I mean, one of the one of the things that um, that going digital makes you understand, or rather, there's an acceptance of over the years is actually the DSP is the DSP is the DSP. Mm. What makes the real difference is the user interface with the that you're that you're managing that's mm. that's where uh, that's where our added value is really and if you can um if you can make it very simple to you if you can make it easy to use and applicable um to the application so if it's in live sports it needs to be fast access mm. you know, that's not necessarily important if you're you know in post production yeah. in fact the longer it takes the better in yeah. some cases <laughs> but in 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 live you you need that direct Fast access, which is one of the reasons why Carrick consoles are designed the way they are, yeah. is for that for that rapid access. Um, and carrying through that familiarity and consistency for that has been very important, I mm. think, f- for Carrick to be where it is.
0: Yeah, I, 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 going back to earlier, I, I do think being able to quickly build a desk, or if somebody asks for, you know, we've got an extra bit of press going on that needs this that and the other, it's you can you can almost do it whilst you're mixing.
1: Yeah add, yeah,
0: add so many extra bits to it, and, or you know, you, you kind of trust if you've engineer to do it on another bank for you while you're, you know, it's, you know it's not going to really affect what, well, what you're are, doing. One of the things
1: that we've done within Carrick DSP for a long time is you you've got the ability to a site to build channels on the fly. Mm so you can do that in the middle of a show without yeah. affecting anything so yeah. and then you can move them around so yeah. you and that's that's something that we've always stayed with because because of comments like like the one you've just made yeah. is that it it doesn't force you as a as an operator to to make decisions that you might have to go back on at yeah. a later date you've got the flexibility of changing on the fly to do that
0: yeah especially when you've got six layers of double stacked faders you know you've got all this yeah. so much real estate to be able to go well, i need to do this but i don't want it to affect what i'm doing now so i'll just stick it over there or you know it's it, it's there's no panic involved in somebody asking you to make a big change it's, right it's, it's okay. very well, that's that's good to hear yeah. from my point of view i mean i'm sure there'll be people that you know there'll be, there'll be some people who won't accept any requests on uh, on the fly but you know yeah. from from a user point of view like it's so easy to make changes on the fly when you, when you need to
1: yeah um, we're going back to um to the you know we we spend a lot of time agonizing over very minor things so take layer switching is one of the, is one of them and and layer switching is is a big thing for any digital desk, mm. um, and how easy it is to move from one layer to another, and how you do it, and how it becomes familiar. Mm. Um, so we will, you know, over the uh, over the years, we've agonised over, you know, the posi- just the position of of the AB layer switching yeah. that we have, um, how close it is, how close they are to the cut button, for example. Are you going to hit the cut button by mistake? Yeah. All this sort of. Um, stuff we agonise over yeah. um, with each design to try and keep that ease of or um, fast use centre in our in our thought process.
0: Yeah, I'd, yeah, I've never even thought about about because I, I do remember from like using the Studer. Um, I don't know if, have you had much exp- have, have you seen much of the Studer mm, console? Yeah. So um, it never happened to me, but somebody I used to work with quite a bit used to always do this. He managed to switch. He was used to manage to switch the faders from being faders to being the aux faders
1: right yeah because you can put the auxes on faders yeah. but by
0: you can do it by just like moving your hand slightly because the button's like next to where the sort of, the right hand yeah of your bank and he would like be mixing away do it and then be like pushing faders up and down and the, the nothing will be coming out yeah yeah, yeah. But
1: but everybody everybody's in ears we're getting upset yeah, yeah. it's like flossing
0: <laughs> lost in my ears, but it's still ears still going out on air though I suppose sweating the small stuff is important for the operational side of it, isn't it? it's like, if you've the more you worry about that kind of thing, then you know that you're making the right decision at the end of the day for for people who's going to be using the desk.
1: Yeah, yeah, and I, and I think one one of the certainly one of the challenges we have as we bring out new new consoles, for example, is we want to move things forward. We've got lots of ideas of how we can do that, mm. um, but do it in a way that isn't too jarring for. What, what for our existing
0: what would you say what would you say aesthetically and usage difference would be from going from like the Apollo to the Argo
1: the big difference really from going with something like an Apollo to an Argo is that we're asking our customers to get used to a much softer surface mm. in terms of what you can do with it um, so the panels are standard panels but you can map all sorts of controls to them gives you the flexibility that you can put whatever you like on them, actually, if you, if you want to, but that's always a double-edged sword. You can, you can make things too flexible. So they become people, you know, can't rock up 10 minutes before the, before the show starts and, and, uh, and, and start, you know build their console yeah. as you said and um in fast enough so you, you have to put some structure behind it and you have to um you have to make it familiar in you have to have a, a set of controls that are familiar enough for people to to build a console but with that extra flexibility if you like to say well we if you if you want to get into it as a as an operator well yeah okay well if i want specific controls here mm. here and here i can build that in front of my uh, and i can customize my surface as i want
0: yeah that yeah cuz that's i suppose cuz uh, from what i've seen of what we looked at there's a lot more sort of touchscreeny panels knocking around compared to the the previous ones
1: yes yeah there is i guess from a technology point of view that's a deliberate move from mm. us, because we on on if you look at the Argo, you now have two big screens, one mm. above the other. Um, one of them is pretty much dedicated for metering, yeah, um, and the other one is is a screen that runs very similar. Well, basically, it's the same back end software as our assist application, which you can run completely headless. Mm. Um, but for each section of the desk, mm. and we've done that deliberately for a for our own sort of personal development selfish reasons yeah. in that if there's one core set of software for that, we can develop that much more. Uh, we can keep the development much more consistent and we yeah. can do it faster.
0: What would you say in your years at Calrec has been, I was going to say your favourite product development?
1: I guess um, one of the um, one of the big shifts was when we... When we went from analog to digital, mm. uh, that's probably the biggest. Mainly, that the we did that shift from analog to digital. So with the digital T that we were that was talking to Apollo. Um, but when we when we de- made the next shift to um, to the Apollo Sigma type mm. consoles. We, um, and it's funny you talk about Robert Edwards with that, one of the first shows that that console, that the Apollo console did was with Rob on... Yeah,
0: he he spoke about it. He said that, did the, I don't know if it was the first rehearsal day or the first TX day, and then sent a load of notes about bugs, and then the next morning there was a a file with all the repairs for the bugs, and then the next day it was like, because it was was a prototype, wasn't it, for the Apollo? But it was...
1: um, I'm not sure I'd go as far. So as it was a prototype. Oh, no, prototype. Right? But, sorry, it was. Like, but it was the. Fir- it was certainly the first yeah, one we'd ever done. Sorry, yeah, yeah. it was the first one we'd ever made. Yeah, there was uh, like the first of anything. There's always. It, yeah. it, it was a nervous time for us. I think and- he,
0: he was saying that is how great it is to have a company that would go to that point where you. Th- Do you have four? four of them yeah, on site awesome we had thing. quite a lot of people on site <laughs> um, ready, ready for um, any, anything that came up and but
1: what what why that why i chose that as a as a favorite is because we changed so much with that product mm. so we, it was a completely new surface but we also changed we had a completely new dsp engine as well yeah. so and um, as a consequence of that we had a new networking a, a revised networking system as well yeah. so it was it, it it was completely new in all aspects that we that we did, we, and and we we promised ourselves afterwards we would never do that again. Yeah. <laughs> but then you know. <laughs> but, but but we pulled it off. So yeah. yeah.
0: So was was there much of a big change from a you know saying you'll never do that again going from like the Apollo generation to the Argo?
1: Well, you can see that now because yeah. we what what we've done with Argo, for example, is that the Argo uses the impulse native IP core mm. but we launched the impulse core a couple of years before we launched Argo so we we did it we've done it more in stages yeah since then rather not, not than not a
0: huge jump from one to another
1: the, so at least you've got some. at least you've got one part of the system you know is stable and operational yeah. and, and is working and then you add add to the you know so you change that, either the surface or the back end but you don't do both at the same time
0: so I think Rob said that was 2007 the um, Apollo yeah which I I, I can't because you look at an Apollo and they still look like a new desk. I don't mean like as in a brand new out of the box one, but they, yeah, they still yeah. look pretty modern. But but then to think they're fifteen years old, really, yeah.
1: Maybe if, even lo- in terms of in terms of how we were thinking about it, yeah. in development because it was it was sort of four or five year development. So yeah, that's. Um...
0: I think because of my experience of the digital Calrex, so we went from an S two to. Uh, Sigma, but that would have been in maybe 2013. But I imagine by that point, the Sigma was probably 20 years old.
1: Um, Probably not that old, because we we have this sort of, what what we tend to do at Carrick is the... We Launch the Alpha first, mm. um, get the big one done first, yeah. and then yeah. and then use that te- technology to to downscale, um, with the Sigma. So the Sigma will have come, uh, probably two or three years yeah. after.
0: It, it just, I just think that I picture that the Apollo being newer than 2007. Oh, okay, but yeah. that's just me it's, in my head because obviously, like, the first, my first experience of a digital car wreck was, let's say, probably t- 2013, 2014, which. You know, that was seven years nearly into the life of the Apollo by that point. Yeah, um, yeah, absolutely. Which is, you know, I suppose it shows, like, how I've pictured those desks being generationally different to each other. Yeah, yeah. Like, like I said earlier... The, the, well, it's S- your own personal experience, yeah, isn't it? Of what I, you, of- the, the, the Alpha, to me, looks like the step up from the analogue ones, visually, to look, to look at. Yeah. And then, obviously, you know, you've got what feels like a big jump to the Apollo, which looks like a full digital platform then yeah it's uh, yeah that's
1: yeah. well, interesting yeah it is. and, a, a put- and, the, and the argo is, is a very different look again yes um and um you know just down to the color yeah the, the, the amount of debates we had just about moving to a, a dark
0: it, it, it makes it a makes a dark it,
1: color in the you know.
0: it will look cool in a dark room with all its lights on that's that's the good thing about a, yeah. a black mixing yeah, it, desk. It does. <laughs> you get that. Um, you get that sort of nice. Uh, like I, I was telling you earlier about Anthony mentioning that I've got a lava as the podcast's uh, logo, and was say, you know, you, you use Calorex more, and you not, you know you live nearby. So <laughs> like, yeah, but I've not got quite as cool a looking picture of a of a. Of an, well, we'll uh, have to make.
1: We'll have to get you a good picture. Yeah, well, he,
0: he did send me one of a some because of a hand pushing some faders up and down, but it, it's. I just thought, because I've I've launched it now, I'll I'll keep it as the same one for the time being and try and use that picture every now and again. Mm -hmm. But I think, um, because Alexis has given me a a set of pushing faders, fader caps, so I'll I'll make that the podcast logo at some point soon. Excellent. Just just to keep, you know, it's it's quite a nice little touch, that. So Mm -hmm. thank her for that. (laughs) (laughs) The one thing just about development, which you, you might know the answer to this because it's always bugged me. When you piffle something that's VCA'd, can you turn off the fact it piffles every other fader?
1: No, I don't think you can. I think a VCA is, um, yeah, we approach the VCA is, the, is, is a VCA and, did you and see, that's what, it.
0: Because one thing we have doing the live stuff is if you've got a delay on a mic, in, yeah. the, on the top layer, and you pull your back you just, to have a listen to it, you can hear both of them and sometimes you can't tell.
1: If which one is which? Yeah. No, if
0: there's like an ERF noise. Oh, okay. So it's not, it's not always clean. And I've always thought to myself, nice to turn that feature off the live tv side of things
1: okay that's interesting um, yeah. i'll put that down on my yeah. wish list
0: yeah have a, have a think about that um, the other thing that i always wondered is why you never made a commentary box
1: we talked about it a lot actually
0: because I, I think that'd been a, like a really good feature that, like a, a hydra commentary box
1: yeah yeah
0: that would just integrate straight into the i suppose the the difficult thing is there was a very ingrained Company already doing country boxes in this country weren't there before.
1: Still are really, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. So
0: and because they were the industry standard, I guess BBC were all you know, it's Glen Sound, and you know, I, I suppose it's hard to then shoe into the market and to to take over that kind of thing.
1: Um, it, it it is, and and one of the, one of the challenges, you know, um, one of the things that that came to mind when you were when you were asking a couple of questions again. Uh, a couple of questions ago was what um what you think Carr- why do you think carrot consoles are so successful i think one of the one of the reasons for that is is the focus mm. because you know we we've always since well since certainly since before i joined the company um, Carrick has always fo- you know its focus has been broadcast live broadcast yeah. desks um and we have you know you you've had a look around, you see how many, how many development engineers yeah. we've got. I mean, more than half the business is development engineers. Um, and we, we have a big, you know, just like that PFL thing, we have a big long list of stuff we yeah. want to do, um, which all of which will help improve our core fundamental business and keeping our focus on that, mm. um, on consoles. Um, there is a temptation to say, "Okay, let's go and do a commentary box over yeah. here." But actually, what that does is it dilutes the stuff that we want to do for yeah. desks. So it, it's quite, um, um, it, it's quite a challenging yeah. situation sometimes because we can see a we can see a market opportunity, um, but it, then it's a question. It's it's not just the opportunity; it's the opportunity cost yeah. that. Um,
0: I guess now Dante's come along as well. It 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 almost has gapped that bit of the market for you because you, you can just pin the audio in and out, obviously on a third party bit of software. But
1: yeah, you can.
0: The the thing I always I always wondered, especially when the hydro boxes came out, was to have like a native. It would be like a native commentary box that was. You know, just, yeah, you
1: could adjust the game from the yeah, desk, and, and yeah, it, yeah.
0: It, it just it always seemed like such a not a good idea, but like that that would be quite useful. with carting up to the gantry a big hydro box to just to do it still to keep it on analog
1: yeah, so you have yeah. like you know
0: you'd have your hydro box and you have all your commentary kit and if it was just one box that you just plugged in and it was all yeah, working yeah it,
1: no i can see the appeal
0: it's um i, I, I just always wondered I, I did
1: we have to um, we've talked about it yeah cause I think a, lot, when, a lot of times i think um, when i did
0: my um craft interview a couple of years ago I did mention, I did say, I'm
1: surprised you never did a commentary box. Yeah, yeah, um, it, it, Yeah, I think we've even got some, uh, we've even drawn out some designs. Really? And, yeah, yeah. Oh, so so. It has,
0: it has <laughs> well, I, I can't be the one that's come up with that idea for you. Damn, that's going to be my retirement. <laughs> I, I was, I, one of the questions I was going to ask, but I suppose it's, it's probably difficult now to answer, thinking about the, the desk development being sort of 15 years or... You know, that that's time timescale. You've only just really released a new one is how you see the future of the products.
1: Well, I think um many ways the the way we've designed the new surface Argo is very much with a with an eye on the future. Cause we, you know, um when you years ago when we made a, the S2, for example, it was an analog desk, you know, the the feature set was baked into what to to yeah. The, the design, basically, we're in a different world now, where yeah. you know the the, the back end DSP processing um, arguably could do all sorts of stuff that we could invent, mm. um, and we will continue to invent, and we're looking at doing stuff yeah. certain stuff for that. Um, what the advantage of something like of what Argo gives us is it gives us a, a more generic interface that we can use not just for a console controller you put, could potentially use it for controlling different functions that we might come up with in the console mm. in theory you could use it for controlling other stuff as yeah. well um, and I think that's the you know that's the appeal of that and that's the future think the, the sort of future vision of of where those sort of controllers are going to go mm. so it's um it's very much about um when you think about what a character console looks like and does it's very much about tailoring the ui and the control surface that we have to the specific job in hand
0: yeah with that question obviously i was thinking not i sort of written it in my head without thinking about the fact you've only just developed a you know, new console but i suppose like you say that having something that in it can be developed more and more as what you can do with it because it's quite a generic platform that it, it, it does give that but flexibility, been, doesn't it? I
1: think it in 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 many ways, I mean I would say that, would it's a yeah. new flagship, yeah. flagship, but um but certainly that's that's how it was designed. If you look at our previous designs like the the Apollo and the Artemis didn't really have that flexibility no. in those systems. Um so it um and we felt the time was you know we're talking about that f- being able to make that step but still provide a familiarity to yeah. our existing we've we yeah. felt that that we could do that now that you could you can offer a uh, people are more used to are more open to yeah. a, a, a very much softer control surface um knowing that the they've the the opportunities that that might give them in the future, but with the familiarity of mm. of the structure of what we can provide on it by default.
0: And I guess like in the last ten years or maybe less than that, you've also released like an in one box console with the Brio. Yeah. So you've got that as a another side product product compared to like the Argo, where you've got a, a it is a standalone bit of kit, really, isn't it? It's not a the surface it doesn't yeah. require racks of DSP to make it work. It's just there.
1: Yeah, which is right. like the
0: opposite side of the spectrum, really, isn't it? To that,
1: it is, and there's a, you know, there's there's certainly a market for that. Yeah, well, um, definitely, yeah, yeah, for the, you know, um, certainly for a fly pack type of arrangement, yeah. that the advantage that gives you is um, is certainly beneficial. Yeah, although in um, we're also living in a different world because we're living in an IP world now. I mean, Carrick has been in the network world for for many years with Hydra 2. Mm. And um, which has been phenomenally successful for for Carrick and um, provided you know those network facilities within a Carrick um, in an umbrella, if you like for our for our customers. Mm. Um, the the big change for moving to IP is that, the added flexibility that that gives you comes at a little bit of a cost in that that protected network environment owned by Cowrec and used by our customers actually isn't isn't protected and owned by Cowrec anymore yeah. it's 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 you know it becomes um it becomes the customers um, network yeah. at that point because they want wanted the flexibility of um, of using cot switches and yeah, yeah. Um, and connect you know connecting anything to 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 anywhere yeah. so that that adds a dimension to to the responsibility yeah. they have to take for that network but from a um, from a product point of view it sort of opened a bit of a Pandora's box because yeah. now we can do uh, you, know, you can in theory connect anything to anywhere um in this sort of distributed production environment that i was talking about earlier yeah. which wasn't even thinkable you know when we when we started l- looking at designing apollo for example yeah yeah that wasn't even in it wasn't a twinkle in anybody's eye no
0: it's, it's amazing how much just one bit of cable can open up so much world of options for you now yeah you know, absolutely it's, it's scary and amazing and all at the same time such a I mean, even from when I started working in TV in 2010, I think it was there was you know a, a system where you got a, a Cat Five that got unlimited amount of potential, you know, just to what the network capabilities just it's, it's crazy.
1: So that's another big difference. Yeah. Um, um, moving, you know, in terms of products moving forward, in in many ways the design of consoles has that's affected the design of consoles yeah. quite dramatically. You know, you you now need to have a a surface for example which can connect to a DSP that's anywhere.
0: Yeah. I guess Covid sped up the remote production side of things. I like, did that what what challenges at the time did that bring to you?
1: Um well it was it's interesting that because before Covid um we we had a we had a remote production yes. product called yes, RP1 and we still we still sell that. Yeah. And um I was very much sort of uh, Took the lead here at Calrec in that product, um, and at the time, um, all the talk about remote production—this was before COVID—all the talk about remote production was, well, we'll do our maybe do our second, maybe second tier, but certainly third tier. It, w- it was sports mm. in a way to reduce cost. Um, so we, we, they were talking about you know, two, three cameras yeah. at an event, maybe eight microphones—is yeah, yeah. that sort of level? And, and and very much that was the target audience for for that product mm. when we brought it out and then um, people started think, started looking at that and and thinking well if we can do that we can surely we can do bigger yeah, yeah. bigger events with it and then covid, came and accelerated that whole um that whole process as as you say um and the rp1 is 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 a good example of one of those products that you develop and you put features in and people start to use in ways that you had never never thought they would um and um you know, the the, the BBC, um, NBC Sports, all these sort of people now use the RP1 for the Olympics from, yeah. from venues in ways that we had never never imagined that they would.
0: So I know when I was staff at Sky, we had just started the EFL, which is the second tier of football. Yeah. COVID came and, you know, it was like, right, you know, we're going to do as much as we can now as, as remote. And you've, you've now got Super Sunday, which is, you know, being in remote production where I think they're pretty much using all of the the MADI stream that goes back to Australia with all, like, you know, 64 channels and you've got, the, I think, the RP1, they use it to control the ears and things, don't they? Yeah, the yeah it's
1: and, a, local mix, yeah. a local mixer to basically get around the latency of sending yeah. signals to and from.
0: Yeah, it was just amazing that, like, it, it was sort of the remote production went from we're going to do it for this level and test it out for a couple of years. And then you know, eighteen months later, it has to be you know the the biggest job that that you do every week is now a remote production.
1: Yeah, yeah, um, absolutely.
0: And I mean, did, did that change how the RP one did, was? Any more development done to make that to make changes to it, or was it just
1: there have been there has been some development to it? So it, it's now much bigger than it was when it first in terms of the number of channels and yeah. outputs that you can you can do with it, um, but the so yes, um, that's resulted, in a lot of that was input from Sky and yeah. NBC. And um, but the yeah the what um, what wasn't as pre- prevalent then when we started out on the RP one journey was the IP sort of yeah. connectivity that we currently have now. Um, so um, you know we we have um, DSP engines now. Um, I mean, any one of those can act as a as an RP one in a way. Yeah. It, 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 an RP one is is after all a mixer in a box, yeah. um, and that's what a core is. So it's it's more a question of application than it is necessarily the name of the the product. Yeah. If you like,
0: I remember I, I I was terrified about remote production being living up north and most studios being down in London. I was like, oh no, this is the this is the end of it for me. <laughs> <laughs>
1: But it, but I think it's exciting, you know. It that is. Yeah, that yeah. change is is quite exciting on how, you know, how it can change the use of of equipment so yeah. so dramatically. Yeah. And yes, it sounds like you're on you're sort of one of the examples of uh, of a human being at sort of at the wrong end yeah. of being of being further away. Oh, it's, it's, when... To
0: be fair, it's not a, a, so far touch wood and all that. It's not um, affected me too badly. Yeah, but because yeah. I, I was I was still staff at Sky when the when the EFL went into remote production was or oh, there's a Leeds game from but it's happening in London.
1: It's like, but, oh yeah. But then but then yeah, it's it's a change in how we do OBs. Yeah. yeah. Um but then when you look at about when you when you look at it and you think, well, um, in many ways there are there's quite a lot of advantages in doing that. Yeah. I mean you you can then build a, a studio environment where you know you can actually um, you can actually put the speakers in the right position. Mm. You, you, you know, you can you, you can do things in a in a permanent setup yeah, yeah, that yeah. you just can't do in an OB truck. No.
0: Does it spell Does it spell the end for the big, like triple pump out, OB trucks?
1: I think it will. My my view is is that it, it it's very much down to production values. Yeah. So you, you know, if you take a big event, I mean, probably the biggest. Um, maybe something like the Super Bowl or something yeah. like that. Um, the added, uh, the added—I don't know what you call it Say Qual, The added, the, the the atmosphere that you get from the production team being on site and that immediate sort of contact with yeah. with the event and the environment that they're in adds to the production. Yeah. In my opinion, is that people will still want that yeah. for for the top tier events, and I think it does add that that's something that you that you probably can't get by by doing it remotely. Yeah, I, I
0: do think a lot of, I mean, I'm speaking from their behalf, I guess, but a lot of directors still like being on site for that contact with camera operators and, you know, even just being able to, I suppose, look around the football ground and change a camera position or you rely on other people to do that for you in, yeah. in a remote production world. And also, I mean, from from my point but, of view, you've got this weird disconnect with the people that are working for you at the time. Yeah,
1: I think, I think one of the one of the things one of the intangibles in that is just the immediacy of control I mean I, I was talking to um uh us A1 operator a few months ago um and he was bemoaning the delay that you get from for multiviewers yeah the fact that he his anticipation of where the action is going is impaired by that delay mm. you know if you if you're then trying to do that, Sat at a control surface in London compared to what and the and and the, and the event is in I don't know Athens or somewhere. Yeah, yeah. That's just going to be a lot. Yeah, that control latency and um, feedback latency that you get with the picture is going to be far longer. Yeah. Um, so you're not going to be able to provide that um, Spont- spontaneity, spontaneity. Yeah. or not spontane- well spontaneity in a way but also the 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 forward th- the anticipation yeah. of what's going to happen um as an operator you, yeah. it, you i don't see how you can provide you, that
0: I guess if you, if you're a director you're relying on the camera operator to be that step ahead of you to yeah. know that that shot is what you're going to expect next not be told right can you get this can you get that it's you know you know there's been a goal you know that you've got to go and get you know the person who's made a mistake for instance yeah, yeah rather yeah. than you know it being right get me this get me that because there's a couple of seconds delay or you know even if it's like a second delay it still feels like the eternity <laughs>
1: um yeah. to that i so, mean i think a lot of that is is as you say there's there's a formula there that you can yeah. work to and it and it um and and you know, you you can mix very successfully mm. in a remote situation. And that's been proven yeah. that people are doing it all the time yeah. now. Um, but I think there's still a, uh, you know, there, there still will be a call for that, yeah. for that more intimate, for want of a better way of describing it yeah. sort of experience.
0: Well, thank you very much for chatting with me today. It's, uh, no, it's It's been nice to do one face-to-face as well because doing them, like I said, doing them over zoom has its uh well
1: we've just been talking about the yeah uh, the, the same latency, thing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah it's nice to do it face to face and thank you for uh having me down here it's been nice to look around because i've never been over considering it's only around the corner really from from me
1: well you're very welcome and uh yeah come back but well, I, um, I will and uh yeah it's been a uh, it's been a lovely chat
0: yeah thank you very much So I hope everybody that listened to that has enjoyed it. It was uh, really nice going over to Carrick for the day and chatting with Henry. I'd like to thank Lexi and Anthony for uh, arranging it all for me and especially to Lexi for sorting me out some very nice Pushing Faders fader caps. I was genu- genuinely, genuinely quite pleased by them. So they will be coming in the new podcast logo uh, when I get a chance to actually get them on a desk and take take a picture of them. So watch this space hopefully you can all tune in in two weeks time when I'm chatting with Robert Edwards about his 50 years working in TV which a career covering quite a lot of light entertainment work the Olympic opening and closing ceremonies as well as being the head of audio at the Eurovision song contest this year and the fact that in January you won't be able to switch on the TV without hearing something that is done so until then thanks for listening